and welcome to Hello Human, a podcast to explore ideas and feature humans working in AI and technology. Scott Klazowski, the founding partner at Future Point of View, joins us today on the Hello Human podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in artificial intelligence and how it's being applied in the real world. I'm John Nisley, the host of Hello Human and a longtime technologist helping companies win in the market with emerging AI technologies. A big thanks to Fortress IQ for sponsoring the program, and be sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. On this episode, we're going to explore humology and the future of work. Since the days of the Industrial Revolution, technology has been positioned for its ability to create a more productive workforce. And ever since, while tech may improve productivity and efficiency, too often it fails to embody the human conditions necessary for creating positive experiences. Humology examines blending available technologies with human effort to maximize performance and potential. Scott is the creator of Humology, so it promises to be an interesting conversation. In addition to his consulting work with Future Point of View, he is also an international speaker, futurist, author of four books, as well as an entrepreneur who has started four or five successful companies. I should also note that I've known Scott for close to 30 years now, and that is a really scary number to be sure because it ages me considerably. He's been a great friend and boss and mentor over the years. So welcome to the program, Scott. To get us started, maybe you could share a nugget from your interesting and varied career for our listeners to give them some context and perspective. Sure. First of all, I, I got to say, I love being on a podcast called Hello Human that is going to be talking a lot about AI. I love the name. You know, I think the nugget that I would give that might help people know me a, a little bit is when you said, you know, I developed humology, we actually sat at a whiteboard and developed this concept probably 10 years ago. And we developed it because there wasn't a word to describe very eloquently the integration of humans and technology, nor was there a way to measure it. And so I was real interested in, all right, how are we going to have a conversation around it's not technology or human, it's technology and human integrated. How are we even going to talk about that? How are we even going to you know, be able to have a language to say that a process is this much human or this much technology? And, and the reason that I was interested in this was to try to help the world make the transition between everything being done by hand you know, to a world where you know, machines will do a lot of the tasks for us. And so glad that we came up with the concept. The motivation was just to, you know, really be able to help us make the transition that we are flat in the middle of right now. That's great. You know, thanks for sharing. And it's probably a topic for another uh, conversation, but humology is not the only word that we've invented over the years, as you know. I grew up in New England on the coast, and, and we've got this local saying that, you know, many as the waves, but one as the sea. And I think that, uh, you know, really embodies our relationship. In many ways, we are very different, but, you know, at the core, especially around our outlook on, on technology and society, you know, we're, we're of that same mindset. When people ask about the impact of technology on humanity and society, you know, generally they fall into these two camps. You either have this Hollywood dystopian view that the robots are going to 
take over and destroy the universe, you know, or you've got the more utopian view that technology will make life better and lead to a more prosperous future. You know, you've got a podcast of your own called The Digital Optimist, so I can imagine where where you stand on this. But, you know, is there a darker side to technology that we need to worry about? You know, there is. And for somebody who is a, you know, really spends a lot of time looking into the future, I also spend a ton of time looking at the past. Uh, I, I love the, the concept or the idea that the past doesn't necessarily dictate or tell us exactly what the future will be, but, but it rhymes, right? So, so the, the future rhymes with the past. I love that concept. You know, I look at humans. Humans, for thousands of years, you know, we fear things we don't know. We fear something that is new. And it's such it is with technology and at many levels, not just AI. You know, we, they fear robots when robots first started coming out. I mean, we, we fear laptops. My, my mother to this day fears her laptop. She thinks it's, uh, you know, it's the most uh, complicated device in the world that is meant to frustrate her. So, you know, your question about, you know, yes, I, I am an optimist about ultimately what happens with the blend of technology and humans. But there is a darker side, of course. Just because I'm an optimist doesn't mean there aren't also problems. I, I am often saying to people that I think that when I look at the future of AI, robotics, machine intelligence, it's 55% good and 45% bad. And so the, go the good wins out. But there, there are some, you know, darker, painful, you know, aspects that we're going to see, you know, over time. And you know, we could spend the next 30 minutes, you know, kind of talking about what they are. But certainly it's going to be the misuse of machine intelligence. It's going to be the bias that, that gets built into machine intelligence. It's going to be human beings losing skills because machines do the skills for us. And we forget how to do the skills. That kind of thing's already happening to us. You know, so there, there's a list of things that are a bit negative. I just believe that the list that is positive is slightly larger. I like that breakdown of sort of good versus bad. And I also think that that sometimes the bad is is an unintended consequence. You know, it's it's because the technologist didn't think through the AI completely. And it's not, you know, it's not because of some evil nature of the person. I mean, that's obviously going to be a part of it. But, you know, I think, again, in general, you know, we, we like to see the, the good in people and people have uh, positive intentions. And sometimes those challenges that come up are are those unintended consequences. And, you know, then you can adjust those as well. You know, to better get a handle on this integration between technology and humanity, you know, you develop this concept of humology to really describe that appropriate blend of humans and technology to you know, optimize those targeted outcomes and, and really amplify performance. You know, you've also got a framework for, for determining the right amount of technology is, you know, what that amount of technology is appropriate. You know, first off, can you, can you just give us a primer on humology? You know, how did you come up with the concept? How do you define it? How it gets measured? How it gets applied? Just some background to, to give the audience an understanding of the, of the concept. Sure. And we'll keep this simple. If you think about a process... And much of life is based around processes. You could look at any process and you could, there's a continuum that at one end of the continuum is a process that is completely done by hand. 
And we give that a score of H5. And then at the other end would be a process completely done by technology, no, knowing that we have to build the technology. But let's just say the process is completely run by some type of technology, and we would give that a number of T5. And so we build a continuum, right? There's zero, which would be something that's right in the middle. It's half human, half machine to get it done. And then you have H12345 and then T12345. And so when you look at that continuum, it now gives you a vocabulary to be able to say, okay, we look at a process like hiring a person in HR. How much of that today is based on technology and how much of hiring that person is based on human? And it is a mixture and it is a different mixture. It's a different recipe for different companies. Some companies, the hiring process like Amazon might be a T3, you know, very little human, but some. And then there might be a law firm and their hiring process is an H3. There's some technology involved, but it's predominantly human. And so that's what the, you know, the term when we say humology, we're talking about that scale. We're talking about a continuum that is an integration of human and technology. And then you, you mentioned also that, you know, optimizing that. And so optimizing where a company should be or where a process should be, you know, is depends completely on the type of company, type of process, type of culture. You know, there's no fixed, you know, right or wrong answers, but there is a, what is best, you know, what is efficient, what is most along the business plan for the company. So there is a proper place. As you can imagine, if you have a process and you are an H3 and you have competitors and they're a T2 and they're much more efficient, much more you know, high throughput, much more high quality because they've integrated technology, you may be at the wrong place on the humology scale and it might be bad for your organization. To me, you know, one of the most beneficial takeaways is that humology can address more than the typical automation use cases. You know, in today's environment, especially, it's easy to look at everything and see an opportunity to automate. And that's the sole drive of the technology. You know, what do you see as the major use cases beyond automation where your clients are applying humology? Can you provide any real world examples yeah, and it's it's a good point because automation is powerful. Automation is something that we will, you know, organizations will be deep into, especially driven by the pandemic now, you know, that there will be a even more of a hunger for automation over the next, you know, few years because when you have people working from home or distributed work environment, you really need automated processes and systems. So the best examples, you know, that I can give you of, for instance, of a good change. There was a client that we had in the middle of the pandemic who had a payable system. And the way their payable systems work was they got invoices from vendors. And the invoices could come in over fax, they could come in over email, they could be mailed, right? They would accept invoices any way that anybody wanted to send them. And then they had staff who would type in the invoices. And then that it was in their payable system. And then they would have it reviewed right, by a payables, you know, a leader would review them and say, okay, this is okay to pay. And then they would print out checks and then they would take the checks over to the CFO and the CFO would sign the checks. 
Now that's you know a fairly standard, you know, right in the middle of humology, part technology, part human, to get payables paid. Now, in the middle of the pandemic, they couldn't pay payables because they weren't together. They didn't, you know, it wasn't as easy to get the invoices, you know, harder to get them keyed in. You couldn't print checks out. You couldn't have the CFO sign them. And so in three weeks from the time that we went to the emergency work from home, they went to an online payable system. They completely automated the payables program. And you know, obviously they will never go back now. Now you have to deal with the reality that there were two or three people that were payables clerks who now don't have a, you know, have a job. And so those people can be upskilled, they can be moved somewhere else in the organization. So you know, that, that's, that's the kind of thing that we are seeing, which is you know, a shift, you know, the constant you know, shifting that automation does and you know what we try to do is look at every process and say, all right, is it appropriate for it to move from H2 to T2? Right? Or is that something that doesn't really fit with this business? Because the customers don't want you know, a technology interface. And there are cases where it's not about moving to H to T. It's about you know, staying at the right place in H and, and optimizing that. And so it's, I think the misnomer is everybody should be moving from H to T. So uh, along those lines, you, you touched on the impact, you know, internally to the staff that needs to be reskilled, retrained. How do you deal with the uh, situation where the company realizes it needs to go from H to T on the spectrum, but their customers may not be ready to go from H to T? Is that a decision the company drives, obviously? But, you know, what, what, are, what are the factors that go into determining that shift? Oh, uh, as, as you know, I am right now visiting my 82-year-old mother. And I spent my last two days dealing with this topic, that companies are switching to full automation. Uh, and I'll give you an example. So I'll give you a couple. You know, one was there's a magazine that she absolutely loves out of England. She resubscribed and they had changed it over to a digital magazine. And they wanted her to download a PDF and read a PDF. She lost her mind. I am not doing that. I want the paper magazine. If I can't have the paper magazine, then cancel my subscription. Right. So then that's a customer who isn't going to accept right, your automation and your dig digitization. Then there was the whole healthcare. Right, issues with my mom, where all the healthcare providers and pharmacy people wanted to set up, you know, online sites and use their online, you know, locations to, you know, manage her her healthcare information and to manage all her prescriptions. And she's like, "No, I'm not doing that. You know, give me a phone number and I'll call somebody and talk to them." And then they started kind of taking away the phone numbers, or they don't answer the phones or they get her stuck in an IVR, you know, and th th these are cases where you got to look at your customer and say, Hey, automation is fantastic, but not if your customer base is 80 year old people who, you know, don't feel comfortable with technology. Yeah, no, I, I can relate. I dread as much as I love talking to my dad, I dread when the call comes in and it is the computer help desk call and, and the browser's not working or the website won't load. I, I know I'm in for a good 45 minute conversation at, at a minimum. Mm -hmm. 
you you mentioned the the process word a couple times. You know, as as a consultant, you know, you're taught to fall back to that golden triangle of people, process, and technology. And I think in in many ways, humology really takes that framework a step further. Obviously, it explores the people and the process dimension, or the the people and the technology dimension. But the, but the process dimension is also front and center with humology because it dictates how those other two relate to each other. And, you know, I've been arguing recently that a big part of the challenge with transformation is that the process element has been ignored in recent years. There was a number from McKinsey that I saw last month that was, I think, only 14, 15 percent of companies have seen sustained and material performance improvements through all their efforts. Another one I saw just last week was less than 1% of companies have enough process understanding to fully leverage their digital solutions that they have in place. You know, there's there's been too much reliance on technology in my mind. You know, do, do you see this in your work? Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, I do believe in the triangle of people, technology, and processes. I just think those are not silos. First of all, you know, I think those are integrations and I agree the integrations have not done well. And I see this as just a maturity process. You know, this is a digital maturity process is that we we are farther ahead with the tools than we are with applying the tools. And I I think in some ways, if I step way back, that's natural. It's to be expected. Uh, But I do think that leaders, you know, any of you who are listening right now who are leaders, Uh, You know, one of the most beneficial thing a leader can do is to say, hey, let's fully exploit what's already out there. And a lot of it is, you know, taking that humology view of a process, uh, because I agree with you. You know, we have technology. We have people. What we don't do is rebuild the processes fast enough or well enough. And that's really where the gap is. And there is no excuse in that we do have the technology, it can do wonderful things. We do have the people, they can do wonderful things. You know, all we are lacking is the focus on, you know, automating the processes in the appropriate way. Yeah, think about the example I gave you about payables. That company could have automated those payables in the way I described anytime in the last three years, right? But why hadn't they? You know, they were forced to do it in the pandemic. But you have to ask yourself, I mean, the technology existed. You know, why hadn't they moved their payables? Well, because whoever was running the accounting department was perfectly happy with the, you know, the H2, you know, or whatever, you know, a way that they were doing payables. Yeah, no, and I was just going to say, I think from from my time at FPOV, I think one of the things I've taken away and continue to stress is, you know, you, you can't undertake a major complex change program without first being able to map your processes, map your experiences, and map your technology. And those three areas of sort of understanding that current state are so critical to successfully getting to that magical future state that everybody's trying to get to. As a professional speaker, I imagine that your work has been disrupted by the pandemic, and you'll be excited to ultimately get back on the road hopefully sooner rather than later. You know, how have you applied the principles of humology to make adjustments to your work in that area? You know, you've always worked hard to integrate technology into your events, but working virtually, I must imagine, has accelerated some of that technology adoption. 
Yeah, it has. You know, thankfully, we were already experimenting quite a bit with virtual speeches, keynotes and things like that, because I was getting asked to do a lot of international work and we couldn't always fly over to other countries. So I kind of had a head start. But in, in March, April, May, we really invested in new technologies, trying new ways to deliver content. You know, let's try to break down the 45 minute keynote or the one hour keynote with very little interactivity. You know, let's kind of throw out the rules on what I'll just say is a virtual interaction. And let's try to create whole new ways to virtually interact with an audience that's a lot better than just the traditional keynote. And so, yeah, the the speaking industry got decimated in 2020. I gave more speeches than I ever have and experimented the whole year with interesting ways to deliver content. And uh, a lot of the experiments worked really well. So, you know, speaking, it'll go someday in 2021, it'll go back, it'll go to some kind of integrated format. So we'll go back to more in person, but it'll be hybrid. You know, it'll be a mixture and I'm comfortable all along the way that, you know, if it remains highly technology virtual oriented, you know, we will continue to try to pioneer, you know, cool ways to deliver content. If it goes back to being quite a bit in person, great. I love that as well. Yeah, and the virtual events are, you know, obviously a challenge for everybody, participants and and the speakers. And, you know, people tend to to joke at me a little in company meetings because I tend to have my camera on. And that's just the way that, you know, sort of I've been taught and brought up. And, you know, if you're going to be on there and you're going to be part of that conversation, you know, in this new world that we're living in, you know, you've got to use the technology to really, you know, have that connection with people. And if you you treat it just like a, a conference call or, uh, you know, hey, you put it on mute and you're doing 15 other things, you're, you're not really actively involved in that conversation. I think that's where companies need to come in sometimes and have some governance involved in, in what's the appropriate use of the technology and and how how you should engage with it to 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 get the most value out of it. Would you agree with that? assessment or, or do you have a different Absolutely. different take on that? Absolutely. And we, we tell clients the same thing. We're like, you have to have rules. You have to have rules for how you work from home. You have to have rules for how you do virtual meetings. And it's not, you know, how do you handle a sales call? How do you handle a meeting with just two people internal? How do you handle a meeting with four people external? You have to look at every virtual interaction and you, then you have to design it. And organizations are way behind the curve on this. Like they, they got Zoom, they got Teams, they got whatever, and they figured out how to have virtual meetings, and then they stopped. And it's crazy. I mean, you, you've got to step back now. And what's every kind of virtual interaction we have, and you need to design it. And when I say design it, it's like I agree with you. I think when people have internal staff meetings and they don't turn their videos on, that's rude. It's just rude. If that offends anybody, I apologize, but I mean it. Because, you you know, in a, in a world where we're distributed, you've got to build relationship in some way. And, and humans are designed, right, to want to be able to see each other, see the body language. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of leaders that just allow people to have a black screen who say, oh, I didn't want to get dressed up. Oh, I didn't want to, you know, put my makeup on, whatever the excuse is. And, you know, I find it to just be, honestly, to be rude when people don't want to turn their video on. 
Yeah, and I, I think that goes a little bit back to our previous point around the, the people process and technology. It's, it's, again, sort of ignoring the process piece of it. You've gotten this technology. It's in place. You know, it's, it's what I've seen as a consultant in my past. You know, most times people have made, companies have made the right technology decisions. They're just not necessarily using the technology fully or using it, at, you know, as it's been intended. And that, that ultimately, you know, ends up being a process issue. Absolutely. To bring this conversation full circle, you know, I want to shift quickly to the the future of work. And the Brookings Institution cited some research that over the last three recessions, over the last 30 years, 80% of job losses, just a massive number, took place in, you know, what they call routine automatable occupations, you know, essentially meaning that the jobs accounted for all losses in the crises all came down to automation. You know, how do you respond to that sort of data point using the humology lens? Well, I, I think about this a lot. And machines are going to replace three things that we do. Highly repeatable tasks, which is what you just mentioned, right? Highly repeatable tasks that are pretty consistent and a machine can replace them. They're going to replace very complicated tasks that humans don't even have the ability to do on their own. So, for example, predicting weather. You know, no human is going to take in data in their brain from a thousand different weather stations and then, you know, do all the math to figure out what the weather's going to be, right? That's going to be an AI. It is now, right? So a very complicated decision. It's some healthcare decisions, right? Those are going to be made by machines. And then the last is anything that could keep somebody safe. So where a robot or a machine can, you know, do some task that keeps people safe. So that's the formula. Right? Machines are going to replace things that are highly repeatable and simple, very complicated, so no human can really make great decisions, or tasks that keep that make somebody unsafe. Now, that represents a large amount of jobs, and so we will, over the next decade, right, where there will be a big transition. If you want to know the future of work, in my mind, we will have a decade or two of transition. It'll be painful. Because some of the people who get knocked out of work are going to have to upskill or reskill. They're not going to like it. Some won't do it. I do not see this collapsing the economy. I do not see this causing a lot of problems for you know, humanity. I actually see it the other way, that this is going to free humans to do work that is more interesting, more fulfilling, and safer. But the transition will be rocky. Scott, I think that's great insight and a great point to end on. To recap today's conversation with Scott Klazowski, the founding partner at the technology consultancy Future Point of View, as well as an international speaker and entrepreneur, humanizing technology is still in its infancy. So when trying to maximize efficiency and develop connectedness, there's that careful balance that must be struck. And to that end, humology examines blending the available technologies with human effort to maximize performance and potential. It's a great framework to consider as a solution to the miserable success rates of transformation programs that we talked about by really bringing the focus a bit back to process awareness. So thank you, Scott, for joining me today. I wanna give you an opportunity to make any closing comments or provide any final insights, but I also have a final question for you as well. As you know, I'm a bit of an information junkie and always looking for the latest and greatest resources. So my question to you is, you know, what resource, you know, whether it's a website, a newsletter, podcast, whatever it may be, do you rely on most to be successful and knowledgeable in your role? 
Well, I love podcasts. I listen to them all the time, you know, driving, running, in an airport, right? I, I would give you three podcasts. One is called Singularity FM, right? Singularity.fm, a great podcast about AI, transhumanism, ethics, philosophy, all those kinds of things mixed together. I would probably also say there's a new one out called In Machines We Trust, which I believe is MIT, um, you know, talking about AI and, and where it's headed. And then there's a podcast called Future Thinkers, which is not always technology-based. Sometimes it is, but a lot of future thinkers is just kind of philosophy and, you know, what's going on in the world. So to me, it's a combination, a cumology. I don't want podcasts that are just about technology, and I don't want podcasts that are just about human. I want podcasts that kind of mix up those topics. Those are three. You listen to each of those three. It's a good river of information for you. That's awesome. And those are three new ones for me. I'll be sure to put them in the show notes for today. I think my resource for this episode that I can't miss is I'll also go the podcast route, the Trailblazers podcast with Walter Isaacson. You know, each episode's about 30 minutes and he really explores kind of that that untold story behind some of the world's biggest digital disruptions and, and the people that really make it happen and, and, and what they learn from it. You know, recent topics have been, you know, everything from genomics and, and esports to robotics and mattresses of all things. So really pretty fascinating stories about different topics. That's a wrap on today's show. Thank you, Scott, for joining me and for Fortress IQ's sponsorship. I'm John Nisley, and this has been Hello Human. If you enjoyed this session, subscribe and check out our series at fortressiq.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for joining us today on Hello Human.